0: Well, good morning. Welcome, everyone. It's great to have you joining with us again online. Hope you guys all had a great Thanksgiving. I know our family really did. It was different, very different than uh, past Thanksgivings uh, with just our family gathered together. Uh, but it was also a really uh, powerful time, too, just for our family to be able to celebrate. Uh, today, what I want to do is I want to wrap up the series we've been working our way through all through the month of, De- of November. We've been talking about life hacks. And really, what we're discussing is how do you have a healthy soul? How do you live out of a healthy soul and an abiding relationship with Jesus? Uh, You probably noticed 2020 has been brutal. In a lot of ways, it's been brutal, but particularly when it comes to our souls. And so I hope this series has given you every week just some really practical tools, some some handles of how to actually live into an abiding relationship with Jesus and, and to live out of a healthy soul. So today we're going to wrap up that series, and the thing that we're going to talk about this morning is the power and the importance of embracing limits. That's what we're talking about, the importance of embracing limits. You may not have noticed this, but if you drive by almost any elementary school playground today, you will almost always see a fence around the school playground, Uh, Pay attention the next time you're out. You you drive by almost any elementary school playground, and this is what it will look like. There will be some form of a fence around it. Now, this was not always the case. And so you may wonder, well, why in the world have we started putting fences always around elementary school playgrounds? You might think, well, maybe it's because we're trying to keep bad people out. Uh, But that's actually not the reason. Uh, Maybe it's to keep kids from from getting out. You know what I mean? Maybe Maybe it's to keep kids contained in this area. That's actually not the reason either. The reason that we almost always see a fence around elementary school playgrounds is because of a study that was done a number of years ago by some landscape architects. And essentially what they were trying to do is they were trying to determine the psychological impact that fences have on elementary school playgrounds and on kids. And here's what they found they found that on the elementary school playgrounds where there was no fence, kids tended to just kind of gather around their teacher and they'd stay kind of huddled in one corner basically of the playground. And they wouldn't even like get, they had all this playground equipment, they wouldn't even climb on it. They really wouldn't explore it. But then on the school playgrounds where there was a fence, where there was a very clear boundary and limit, kids would go all over. They'd run, they'd play, they'd explore the whole area. They'd climb up on the playground equipment And so, what they discovered from this study was that, big surprise, kids apparently need boundaries. How about that? Kids, when they actually have a limit, when they have, in this case, a fence, they actually live more fully. They actually feel safer to explore and to go further into the world that they're designed to be in. That's true of kids. But it's also true of us as adults. It's it's true of all of us in humanity. The the reality is, limits actually help us live more fully. Limits in our lives actually help us to live a a more full life. And so, today we're talking about what, what does it actually mean to embrace our limits and live into that. Now, as Americans, if this is true, if limits actually help us live more fully, why is it that as Americans, we resent limits? Why is that? <laughs> I, I mean, I'm talking about myself here too. I think I resent limits. Anytime someone says you can't do this or there's a limit to this, we, we don't like that. Think about the year 2020 for a second. Think about how many times in the last year you have heard people talk about my rights, my freedom, uh, my choices, right? We want these things to be unlimited, We we want our our choices to be unlimited. We want our freedom, our our rights to to not have any kind of limits on them. But when you go to the Gospels and you look at the values that Jesus actually modeled for us, our center of gravity as Christians have kind of drifted away over this last year from what Jesus modeled. Jesus valued self sacrifice, he modeled servanthood and called his followers to that. He modeled love for your neighbor. Those things, by very nature, if we really embrace them in our lives, require us to actually embrace limits on ourselves. And, and this is what we find ourselves in constantly, is this battle of how, how, do we, how, how do we embrace limits and not feel like somehow we're letting go of our freedoms and our rights and our choices in our lives. I'll tell you, we come by it Honestly. I, I come by it, honestly. When I was a kid, my parents, i am like many of you, I had great parents who loved me, and so they told me what most American parents tell their children. My parents looked me in the eye and said, they said, Brian, when you grow up, you can be anything you want. When you grow up, you can be anything you want. And I took that to heart. I was like, I remember being a kid thinking, I can be anything I want, like, you know, an author, an actor, a, a musician, a, a professional athlete, you know, a, a lawyer, whatever it is, and so what I decided to do is I decided I was going to play basketball just like Michael Jordan. The problem was, I was terrible. Okay, this does not fly through the air and dunk the basketball, okay? That's not how that works. And so I, I was a complete failure at playing basketball, but I still didn't get the message. And the truth of the matter is, I couldn't be anything I wanted. The, the truth is, no matter how much we tell our kids that, you can't be whatever you want to be. I mean, yes, I was given gifts and abilities. There were talents that that God had blessed me with and opportunities God blessed me with, but there were also limits. God actually blessed me with limits in my life too, that when I embrace those limits, it actually helps me live more fully into the life that he's called me uniquely to be living in. So here's the question. Here's what I want to ask you as we go into this uh, idea of embracing limits this morning, and that's, do you see limits... As a gift or as a curse? In your life, do you see limitations as a gift or do you see them as a curse? Something to be shaken off. Something that something to be cast aside so that you don't have to be uh, you know, embracing and living within those limits. Let's talk about Jesus for a moment and how Jesus viewed limits. What's interesting is when you go to the Gospels, what you realize is that really we have almost... Uh, almost very, very little information from the first 30 years of Jesus' life. Uh, you know, all the things that we read about, all the things that we see in the Gospels, all the miracles Jesus did, it, it, they really happened in the final three years of his life. So for the first 30 years of Jesus' life, he lived within his limits as a human being. As far as we know, he was a faithful son and brother, employer, employee, Uh, he was a member of his local synagogue, he participated in his community, but there was nothing spectacular about him until it was his time. In the final three years of his life, Jesus begins his ministry. And And the way Luke's gospel especially tells us that Jesus begins his ministry is he gets baptized and God confirms that he is his son whom he dearly loves. And then Jesus immediately goes out into the wilderness to face three temptations from the enemy. And those three temptations, by the way, when you study them, they all have to do with embracing limits. All three of the temptations that Jesus faces to begin his ministry have some element, something to do with being tempted to cross over and go beyond the limit that God had put in place. And Jesus successfully resists those temptations. And so he begins his ministry in Luke chapter four, coming right out of the wilderness, he goes to Nazareth and he preaches his first sermon in the synagogue, and immediately there's a crowd that gathers and people begin to gather around and listen to him and people are amazed by him. And then what happens is he goes to Simon Peter's house and he begins to heal people and people begin to be brought to him to, be, to heal. We actually have uh, an idea of where this was geographically. So this was the area where this happened, where Jesus actually began his ministry from Luke chapter four. And so go ahead to the, the next one there. What you can see, I want you to notice the, kind of the perfect setup that this is. So you have the synagogue. This is where Jesus preached his first message. And then he, ha, he goes to Peter's house and he begins to heal people. And then you've got the Sea of Galilee right here. Now, now, let me just explain this. This is the perfect setup to build a mega church. Okay? Jesus could have had a mega huge ministry with just thousands upon thousands of people coming. He had a place to teach. He had a place to live. He had a place to to set up his ministry and heal people. And then you have the Sea of Galilee where people could just keep coming and pouring right in to the coast, right into this area, and thousands of people could have been there. Jesus was set up to build something huge. But instead, let's take a look at what happens. Very early on in his ministry. Go ahead. This is Luke chapter four, starting in verse 40. Uh, It says this, "'As the sun went down that evening,' People throughout the village brought sick family members to Jesus. So he's there at Peter's house. People would begin to bring family members. No matter what their diseases were, the touch of his hand healed everyone. Many were possessed by demons, and the demons came out at his command shouting, "'You are the Son of God.' But because they knew he was the Messiah, he rebuked them and refused to let them speak." So the sun is going down on the Sabbath, so it's work time. Jesus begins working, and so people are coming to him, and he's just like, boom, 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 you're healed, you're healed, you're healed. It's like a pandemic, and he's just healing people one right after the other. Nobody is walking away unhealed. People who are demon-possessed, they're they're being delivered. I mean, this is an amazing thing, and this goes on all night. He just keeps this up all night. Go ahead to that next uh, passage here. Early the next morning, Jesus went out to an isolated place. The crowd searched everywhere for him, and when they finally found him, they begged him not to leave them. But he replied, I must preach the gospel, the good news of the kingdom of God in other towns too, because that is why I was sent. So he continued to travel around, preaching in synagogues throughout Judea. What I want to point out to you, what I want you to see here in this passage is that Jesus had this perfect setup. He could have built this giant ministry and stayed right where he was and built this mega ministry. But instead, after this night, the crowds come and find him and they say, oh, here, look, my dad's right here. My dad needs you to heal him. I saw you touching people, healing them all all night. And so I ran home. I got my dad. He's about to die. Will you touch him? And Jesus is like, nope, sorry. Got, got to go on to the next town. Got, got to move on. But but my mom, she she managed to make it here. Can you just touch her, Jesus? And and nope, sorry. On to the next town. That's not why I'm here. Jesus doesn't heal every sick person. Jesus doesn't set up some giant ministry right there in Capernaum in Nazareth and build a giant mega ministry. He doesn't do that. Jesus uh, doesn't stay. When the crowds beg him to stay, in fact, there's a lot of stuff Jesus didn't do. Jesus didn't feed every person. We have these amazing miraculous stories of Jesus healing, or I mean, feeding crowds of five thousand plus people, but he doesn't feed everyone. And there's a lot Jesus doesn't do. He never travels to Europe, to Asia, to the Americas. He never goes to proclaim the good news of the gospel there. He, really, Jesus' his entire life is lived in this small geographical. Area. And yet, at the end of Jesus' life, John chapter 17, Jesus is gathered with his disciples and he begins to pray. And these are some of his last moments with his disciples. And at the end of his life, John 17 4, Jesus prays and he says, I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. So Jesus says, I completed the work that you gave me to do, that the Father gave him to do. I didn't do everything. I didn't do it all, but I completed the work that you, Father, gave me to do. That's what Jesus was zeroed in on. That's what he was focused on. Can can I encourage you to write something down right now? Wherever you're at, grab a piece of paper. I'm serious. You know, wherever you're watching this from, and just write down this phrase I don't have to do it all. How's that feel? I I don't have to do it all. Just try that on. (laughs) Write it down. Just look at those words. I don't have to do it all. You don't have to do it all. Jesus didn't do it all. Now, some of you right now, what's happening is you're looking at that and you're rolling your eyes and you're going, yeah, I know. I know I don't have to do it all. But if that's true, why then? Why? do you constantly feel like there's more to do and less time to do it in? Why do you constantly feel like your work is never finished? Why why do you stay up at night with this low-grade sense of anxiety that like, ah, there was something I, I didn't get done. There was something I wish I would have finished in this day. Why do we constantly feel like we can't adjust our schedules? We, we live with almost no margin and no flexibility, and when our plans change, it's like it throws us into this thing because I had all these things I was going to go do and all these things I was going to get done. You don't have to do it all. Jesus didn't. Now, I want to be really clear here. Jesus wasn't being mean in this moment. Like you read this story and you almost get the sense of like, what a jerk. Are you telling me like he could have stayed there and healed all these people and done all this good and he, he just leaves them? I mean, there's a part of you that goes, wow, isn't that so mean? But what I want you to see is that that wasn't Jesus being mean. What Jesus was doing there is he was focusing in on what God had actually called him to do. He says, I finished the work you gave me to do at the end of his life because he focused, he embraced limits. That helped him focus in on the actual life and the actual mission that he was called to live into. I want to show you this in Luke's gospel. It's one of those things that, like, if you read through Luke's gospel, you miss it. It's said so often, again and again and again, but you kind of miss the entire focus and the kind of the direction and the intentionality that Jesus lived his life with. But but pay attention if you kind of walk through it. This is Luke 9, verse 51, just a few chapters later uh, from where we were just reading. It says, as the time drew near for him to ascend to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. He sets out for Jerusalem. A few chapters later, Luke 13, 22, Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching as he went, always pressing on toward Jerusalem. Are you picking up a pattern here? (laughs) Next, uh, Luke 17, a few chapters later, as Jesus continued on toward Jerusalem, he reached the border between Galilee and Samaria. Luke just keeps telling us. By the way, he was on his way to Jerusalem as he was headed toward Jerusalem. After he did that, he kept going resolutely toward Jerusalem. And then toward the very end of his life, life in Luke 19, it says, after telling the story, Jesus went on toward Jerusalem, walking ahead of his disciples. It's one of those things you, you almost miss, but, but Luke just keeps telling us Jesus is headed toward Jerusalem. That's his mission. He's on a mission. He's got to get to Jerusalem. That's the focus of his life. And so everything that comes about in his life, every need that is presented to him, every possible good thing that he, he could possibly do he filters it through this idea of, does this help me get to Jerusalem? Or does this distract me from ultimately getting to Jerusalem? This, this is how Jesus works. This is how Jesus processes through all these things. He embraces limits on the things that he was available to do. He embraces limits on his time. He, he embraces limits on the amount of people he was available to in order to accomplish the mission that he had, that God had set for him in Jerusalem. And what was that mission? The mission, the reason why Jesus resolutely went to Jerusalem was because Jesus knew the whole mission of his life was that he was here to offer himself in a sacrificial death on the cross for your sins and for my sins. So Jesus took on the debt that we deserved. He took on our debt, a debt that he did not earn, so that we could then have his life, a life that we don't deserve and we didn't earn. And So, what happens is when we turn in faith and trust and we put our faith and our trust in the person of Jesus and not in our own effort, not in our own abilities to get it all done and to meet every need, what happens is his life is transferred to us and, and our debt is transferred to him. And what happens is we begin to, to learn how, what it means to walk with him and he carries the burden. He's the one. That we rest in. He's the one that we trust in. He's the one that we unload the burdens of our life to. And we allow him to help us live out the life that he's called us to. That's what Jesus wants for you. That's what he wants for every single one of us. When we come and when we put our our lives completely in Jesus and we become saved and we become followers of Christ. Go ahead to this next slide. God wants you to embrace limits that help you focus on his life for you. He wants you to embrace the limits in your life so that you can live more fully into the life that he's won for you on the cross. That, that's what Jesus wants for every single one of us. So let's get really practical here for a moment if we could. Well, what are limits? What do we mean when we talk about limits in our lives? So just a few examples. Limits can be your personality. Uh, you may not realize this, we're all wired differently and there are lots of different personality tests out there. The one that our staff uh, uses the most and that we, we talk about the most around here is the Enneagram. So the Enneagram talks about, you can go Google it and find uh, some information about it. There are nine different types. They, they say there are nine different types of normal. Okay, nine different personality types. But within each one of those personality types, there are limits. There are, there are gifts and talents and abilities that each one kind of carries. And there are also limits. You can't do it all. Your, person, your actual personality is a limit, and when you embrace that about yourself, it actually helps you live into what who God's called you to be. Uh, another example for limit, limits can be your season of life. Ecclesiastes 3 is the passage of, of the Bible where it says, for everything there is a season. There's a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to sow, a time to reap, a time to harvest. There, there, there's a time for Everything. There's a, there's a time to, to embrace, a time to refrain from embracing. It just goes through there. Everything is a season in life. Sometimes your season of life is actually a limit that you have to embrace. Recently, I've uh, heard from a few different, you know, just even like stay-at-home moms in our congregation who are in a season of life where they're home with their kids. Maybe they were in the workforce or they have a college degree, but right now they're home with their kids. And I, I, I've heard people say things like, well, I'm just a stay-at-home mom. That's what I am right now. No, you're not. You're not just a stay-at-home mom. C.S. Lewis said that all professions in life basically are there to support the one profession of life, which is raising kids, right? If you're in a season of life where where you've embraced limits so that you can raise kids, that's incredibly important. There's another pastor that that says that uh, maybe the most important thing you will do in your life is not something you will do, but it's someone that you will raise, Sometimes we have to embrace limits in our life for a season to do what God's really called us to do. Uh, another example of limits can be emotional, physical, and intellectual. Uh, just your capacities. But limits can, can be all around that. I mean, let's be honest. We, we all each have different uh, cap- capacity when it comes to our uh, emotions, when it comes to our intellect, when it comes to our athletic or physical ability. And then uh, also, this is the one we think of most often, time and money are limits that we have to embrace. We only have so much time, we only have so much money, where, where do we invest those things? Now it's true, you can, you can take your time and you can use time in order to make more money, but, but that's not always the right call. Sometimes we need to embrace limits on how we're spending our time and, and how, in order to make more money, and, there, and the reverse is not true. Uh, You can't use money in order to make more time. We all only have as much as we have. So so the question is, are, are there some limits that you need to embrace in this season of life so that you can live more fully into the life that God has called you to live in? Is there anywhere in your life where maybe you're trying to do it all, you're trying to extend yourself past the limit, and it's costing you? Here's uh, the the question I want to ask us as we kind of head toward the end here. Why don't we embrace our limits, right? If it's true, everything we've been talking about to this point, if it's true that we actually live more fully when we embrace limits, if it's true that in order to really live into uh, the abiding life in Christ that we're called to have, we have to embrace limits, why is this so hard? Why don't we embrace our limits? Can I tell you, the, the answer is because it's emotional. Acknowledging our limits is emotional, Take it a step further. Actually, taking a step to embrace a limit is painful. We have this couch in our house. It's, it's a great couch. We've had it for years and years and years. Actually, we got it in uh, the house that we lived in before this one. And in the house that we lived in for 13 years, when we first got this couch many years ago, it fit perfectly in that house. It was just like the perfect size, the perfect dimensions. It fit. It, there was a spot in the house where it just fit perfectly. And that that couch, because it's such a great couch, has moved with us to the new house, the house that we live in now. But the problem is that couch does not fit in our new house at all. There's no good place for it. It just doesn't fit the dimensions there. It just looks awkward in the house. And yet we still have that couch three and a half years later after moving into, the, into that house. Why? Why can't we get rid of that couch? The reason is because we're emotionally attached to that couch. That's why. There's all these memories associated with that couch. There's like an emotional attachment to it. And it's, you know, whenever we start talking about you know, getting rid of the couch, it's like, we can't get rid of that couch. Babies were nursed on that couch. Babies were probably, well, anyway, uh, you get the idea. It's a great couch, but the couch has limits. It doesn't fit in this new house. But, it, but it's such a, like a painful emotional thing whenever we start talking about what does it mean to actually embrace a limit? It feels painful. And I think about my own life. In 2009, I hit a wall in my own life where I, I don't know how else to say it, I was just failing on every level in my personal world. Uh, we had our four young boys, they were really small and so the demands at home were, were a lot. I had been the lead pastor here at Frontline for a couple years, and to be honest, I was still trying to figure that out. So there was just all these needs, and I I got to a point where I was just failing in every area of my personal world. When it came to just my marriage, when it came to just sin and addictions and personal things that I struggle with and wrestle with, things were just redlined everywhere, and I was not in a healthy place. And so in 2009, I took a break. I stepped back, and I I went to a counselor. By the way, that's what some of you should do. Get over your pride and just go sit down and talk with a great counselor. And I remember sitting down with this counselor. He's still a friend of mine today. And I remember getting really annoyed with him because what he wanted to keep talking about was uh, my accessibility. <laughs> I didn't even know what that word meant. I remember he said, I just want to talk a little bit more about your accessibility. I was like, Why does this guy want to talk about this? I wanted to talk about all these other things that were wrong. He just kept drilling back into my accessibility. And what I mean by accessibility is I mean, he was asking me, uh, how many people have your cell phone, Ryan? Uh, How many people have your direct email? Um, How much time are you spending on social media? How many meetings are you taking a week with people? And what happened is over a period of time, I came to realize I was trying to meet so many needs, needs of my wife, needs of my kids, needs of people here at the church, needs needs of staff on the church, needs of people at the denominational level, and trying to get a great sermon written every week. and And then somehow in there, try to find some time to be with the Lord. And it wasn't working. And so I made a really hard decision to embrace some limits. I changed my cell phone number. I deleted my email and got a completely different email. I uh, got completely off of social media. For years, I was on no form of social media. And it was painful. Not everybody appreciated those decisions. But I'm here to tell you, if I had not made those decisions, and if I had not embraced some limits at that stage of my life, I don't think I would be in ministry today. I might not be married to Carrie still today. It was such a critical thing. And what happened is when I embraced those limits, as painful as that was, the, the most incredible thing happened. I started to hear the voice of God again. Imagine that. And things started to become clear, And I, I, I began to, to hear his voice. I began to sense his presence again. And, and it's like my inner world began to become alive again. One of the most important decisions I've ever made in my life. But the story doesn't stop there. In 2015, I was diagnosed with cancer. And I found myself suddenly in this place where uh, I needed people, I needed you. Honestly, I don't know how people go through something like that without an abiding relationship in Jesus and without a church community. I don't know how people do it. I don't know how some of you are doing that right now. And what I realized is I was just completely isolated. I had gotten to a point where I I was too far back. I was too isolated from people. And so what happened is I got back on Facebook. I got on social media. I gave my cell phone number out and my email out to to a number of people because I said, will you pray for me? I need you to pray for me. I need you to encourage me. I need you to remind me that I'm not alone in this. And the most amazing thing happened when I started doing that, I started to hear God's voice more clearly again. See, this isn't like a one-time deal. It's not like you just kind of set these limits in place, these boundaries, and then you just walk away. What this is, is, it's a constant process of evaluating and saying, Lord, for right now, is there any limits I need to get rid of? Is there any limits I need to embrace? Anything I need to cut in my life? Is there anything I need to change? And so that's what oftentimes happens to us sadly is we get to a place where When people hit the red line in life, and this has been true of me, I'm sure it's true of a lot of you as well, you get to a point when when all the gauges are red and we go, okay, it's time to make a change. It's time to embrace some limits and cut some things. What we often end up doing is we end up cutting the thing that we need the most, our spiritual life. And that's exactly what I had done. You begin to cut time with God. We begin to cut time in his word. Don't do that. Don't do that. What we need to begin doing is saying, God, will you help me evaluate my life? Will you help me embrace some limits on some things that are keeping me from being able to live into this relationship, this life with you fully and hear your voice? So that's that's the challenge today. I wanna, I wanna invite you, even as we sing, even as we close out our time together, to spend some time and just say, Lord, will you help me evaluate my life right now? Is there anything I need to just say the word no to? Is there anywhere I need to say I need to filter this through the lens of who you're calling me to be through the season of life I'm in and to say, God, I'm going to say no to things that are distracting so I can live into what you've called me to be. Would you pray with me? So, Lord Jesus, we come to you right now to that end. We just ask you to speak Holy Spirit in the next few minutes. And even as we look at the next week, we want to live out of An abundance of love out of an abundance an overflowing cup of joy because we've been in your presence because we're resting in you because we're allowing you to take the burden you haven't called us to live as people burdened down trying to meet every need trying to do it all you've called us to embrace limits and fully run after the things you've called us to for each of us God help us to return to what it means to have a healthy soul help us to return to what it means to live out of an abiding relationship with you Would you speak to us and show us, God? Would you put your finger on those areas of our lives right now? We ask in Jesus' name, amen.